0: Man, you guys sound great today. It is a pleasure to be in this room with you. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. We're glad you're here. Got any returning college students here with us today? Awesome, man. We're glad you're back. Glad you're here with us. We missed you guys. All right, once you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew today, the book of Matthew chapter 24, if you brought one. If not, we've got the verses behind me on the screen. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to talk for a few minutes before I get there. We are going to continue today our series on the return of Jesus. Um, We started it last week. In case you missed it, I want to give you just a brief summary of last week's message Um, we're talking about the return of Christ, and I talked about how it would be really easy for us to get hung up on all the signs of Christ's return. And as fascinating as that would be, I really, when I look at Scripture, I don't see that that's where Jesus wants us to spend our time and focus. And so what we did last week is we talked about the three things that we can know for certain about the return of Jesus. And that's where we camped out, and let me just briefly go through these before we jump into what we're gonna do today. But we looked at the first thing that we can know for certain about Jesus' return is that nobody knows when he's coming back. That's the first thing that is clear in the scripture about his return is that nobody knows when it is. Jesus said that no one knows the hour, no one knows the day. He said the angels in heaven don't know when it is. Jesus said he didn't know when it is, that he submitted that knowledge to the one person who does know when Jesus' return will be, which is the Father. And Jesus said, rather, instead of you worrying about when it's going to happen, Jesus said, there's two things I want you to be doing. One, he said, I want you to believe that it's going to happen. He said, take heed to this truth that as a child of God and as a believer, that's kind of step one is that you need to be at a place where you need to believe that this is going to take place. And we'll talk about how God can help accomplish that in our hearts at the very end of the message. He says, one, I want you to believe this is going to happen. And the second thing Jesus said is, I want you to get ready for it. I want you to be ready for this to occur. And again, we'll talk more about that in a second. All right, that's the first thing. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Number two, the the second thing that we can know for certain about Jesus' return is this, is that he is returning. He is coming back. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Paul is speaking to the persecuted church in Thessalonica and he's comforting them with these words. He says, there's gonna come a day where Michael, the archangel, is gonna shout and Gabriel is gonna blow the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ are gonna rise and those of us who are alive and remain are gonna meet him in the air and we are going to be with the Lord forever. Jesus talks about it over and over again. Paul talks about it over and over again. John the Revelator in Revelation talks about it over and over again. The truth is Jesus is going to come back, all right? That's the second thing we can know for sure third thing we can know for certain is that Jesus is calling us to live our lives in light of the return of Christ. He's calling us to live our lives. He desires you and me as believers to live our lives in light of his return. Now I talked about how what he was doing last week in Mark as he was predicting the destruction of the temple. With incredibly accurate detail, he predicts the destruction of the temple. But I asked the question, why did he choose that moment to talk about his return and predict his return, and we discussed this, this is that he, he was preparing his disciples to suffer. He was preparing them to walk through the trials that they're about to walk through. Every single one of these guys over the next few weeks when Jesus says this, and over the course of their lifetime are gonna suffer, and they're gonna suffer greatly for the gospel. And what Jesus is saying is the, the thing that's gonna give you the ability to walk through this suffering. The thing that's gonna give you the ability to walk through this trial is the knowledge that one day I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna take you home to be with me and you're gonna be with me forever. And we discussed last week that as believers, as people that believe this truth that he's coming back, that we are not to fall into despair like people who have no hope that we're not to fear like people that have no hope, that we're not to walk in grief like people that have no hope, but we are to be comforted with these words that Jesus is going to come back, all right? Now, here's what I wanna do today. And I thought about making this point very briefly last week in just a few statements, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I I wanna take some time and focus on this, and here's what I wanna talk about today. That basically, we've learned so far that the scripture is pretty clear. That as believers, we are to be excited about the return of Christ. That we as believers are to look forward to the return of Christ. That we as believers are to prepare and to be ready for the return of Christ. That we're to be comforted in our trials by the return of Christ. That, the, that Jesus' second coming is supposed to be a very present reality in our lives as believers. And here's what I want to focus on today. It's this truth. That even though the scripture is very clear about that, that for most believers, for most believers, and I think that this is especially true for younger believers, but for most believers, it's not. The second coming of Christ is not a a present reality and thought in our walks with Jesus. I mean, think about it, when is the last time that you sat around thinking about his return? When's the last time, much less not just thinking about his return, but you actually sat around thinking about it and got excited about his return? right? The truth of of this is that most of us don't. We're not excited about it. Uh, We don't look forward to it. It's not something we really think about. Generations behind us have, but for whatever reason, we don't. And so I want to talk today about kind of why. Why that, that us, we as a generation, we don't spend a ton of time thinking about this doctrine. We don't spend a ton of time Preparing for this reality and I want to talk about that and then I want to talk about how at the end God can create a passion for this in our hearts Like he's asked us to do so if you're taking notes today quick sermon today, by the way, if you're taking notes today There's three responses There's three responses that I'm seeing for our generation Towards the reality of Christ's return and the doctrine of Christ's return Here's the first one the first reaction or response whether I see to this um, this doctrine of christ 's return is one of skepticism it 's one of skepticism it 's a disbelief and if you 're here and maybe you 're new to church or you 're not a believer or maybe you didn 't grow up in church and you haven 't really heard this uh, this theology about Christ is coming back, when you hear these things, when you heard me talking just a second ago about thessalonians four that That all of a sudden there's going to come a day when angels are going to start shouting and and trumpets are going to start sounding and God's going to show up on the scene and bust through the clouds and gather all the Christians together and take them back to heaven. And there's a lot of folks out there that they hear that and that just sounds ridiculous. Sounds like science fiction to them. Now here's the thing, if that's where you're at. Um, One, I know, I get it. I get it that, that that sounds crazy, but there's something that I want you, if that's your response to the truth of the second coming, if that's where you're at, listen to this. Just consider this today. That for thousands of years, for thousands of years, before Jesus showed up on the scene the first time, okay, men of God were writing about and preaching about and predicting his arrival. Thousands of years before he ever showed up men of God were writing about, predicting, prophesying about the coming of a Savior Messiah. As a matter of fact, 44 separate prophecies in the Old Testament, 44 separate times from all these different authors. Thousands of years of separation between the prophecies and all these different geof- geographical locations, they all predict this one thing, that there's gonna be this guy and he's gonna be born and he's gonna be born of a virgin and he's gonna, and it gets specific. He's going in Micah 5, it talks about that. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem and he's gonna be raised in Nazareth and then he's gonna grow up and the, Israelite, the Israelites are gonna reject him and then they're gonna kill him and he's gonna suffer. But his suffering is, is what's gonna destroy evil and through his suffering he's going to destroy evil and atone for the sins of mankind and reconcile us back to God. 44 separate times in the Old Testament these guys keep standing up and going this is going to happen, this guy's going to come be ready, he's coming. And generation after generation and generation of people lived and died waiting for this guy to show up and they heard the prophecies and they read the prophecies and they did not believe it and you know why they didn't believe it because it sounded crazy sounded nuts what do you mean there's gonna be a guy born of a virgin and he's gonna be like the savior of his people but he's from Nazareth which is this backwoods crazy place and then he's gonna conquer evil but he's gonna do it through his suffering they just thought it was crazy but you know what happened one day it happened and Jesus showed up And this guy lives this life and he fulfills every single solitary one of the prophecies that were written about him. And what Jesus shows up, and that's the one thing that that you just can't get around is Jesus. And what Jesus shows us, the person of Jesus shows us, is that God is a God that keeps his promises. God is a God that keeps his promise. And Jesus has made the promise to us. He said, "I've, I've come once, I am coming again. And as crazy as that sounds, you know, they're going to be people. They're going to live their lives. They're going to come and they're going to go. Generations are going to live their lives and they're not going to see it happen. And there's going to be a lot of people, because they don't see it happen, they're going to think it's nuts. But there is coming a day, and I'm telling you, in the same way that God was faithful to fulfill that prophecy the first time and to keep his promise the first time, God will be faithful to keep it again. Okay? Jesus said, I'm coming. I believe him. All right, that's kind of the first reaction to the doctrine of the second coming. It's kind of skepticism. This sounds crazy, but God is faithful. Here's the second one. Um, The second one is this, I see this a lot, and and it's a very common reaction to the doctrine of Christ's return, and that's apathy. It's apathy. And if I were to be totally honest with you, um, this is kind of the camp I find myself falling into. Um, it's, It's not that I don't believe in the return of Christ. I do believe he's coming back. I believe it with all my heart. It's just I don't think about it very often. A lot of times my heart is this. It's it's like, well, he said he's coming back, but it's been 2,000 years since he said it, and he hasn't returned yet, and so the odds are that he's not going to come back in my lifetime. And so, you know, it seems a little weird to spend a lot of time and effort and energy preparing for something that's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. And if I were just honest with you, that's my sin. what's interesting is that jesus addresses very specifically that heartbeat he very specifically said look if that's kind of where you're at that you believe this but you're kind of apathetic about it don't do that and then he says it in Mark, or rather matthew 24 37 real quickly just read this he's specifically addressing the the apathetic heart and he says for as were the days of noah he goes all the way back to Noah, and he says you know what people were apathetic about the prophecy of god back in the day He says, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Then the two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. And two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, Jesus says, stay awake, stay awake. He says that over and over and over again when he's talking about his return. Stay awake, wake up, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Look at verse 46. He said, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find. So doing when he comes. Okay, now here's his point. Here's his point. And you can you can go out and apply this in any way the Spirit leads you here, but here is Jesus' point. We are to live our lives. This is what Jesus is saying. We're to live our lives like he's coming back at any minute. That's what he's saying. We're to, as believers, we know that our master's coming back at some point. And because we're his servants and he's our master and we know he's coming back, that we are to live in such a way that if he does come back in our lifetime, he will find us being faithful to him. That if he comes back in our lifetime, he will find his servants doing what it is that his servants have been called to do. Okay, so this first response is skepticism. Our response to that is God is faithful. The second response is we're often apathetic. And Jesus says, don't be apathetic because he can come back at any time. The folks weren't expecting the flood and the flood came. So when he comes back, he wants to find you being faithful. Last one, and by the way, I think this is a very, very common response to the doctrine of the return of Christ. And we're a church that has a lot of younger people in it. And I've found that this is kind of the hang up on the second coming with a lot of younger people. And here it is, is that you believe Jesus is going to return. You believe it. You believe he's coming back. But if you're dead honest with yourself, you're not quite ready for him to come back yet, right? Um, You love Jesus, you believe the gospel, you definitely want to go to heaven one day, but you're just not quite ready to go to heaven right now, right? I have a friend that um, is getting married here for too long, and they are a godly couple and they are waiting to have sex until their wedding night, all right? They are saving themselves for marriage. And I knew that I was gonna be preaching on this point right here. So about three weeks ago, I walked up to him and I said, hey man, you're getting married here in a few weeks. And you've been waiting to have sex. Are you ready for Jesus to come back right now? And he paused, right? He paused, big smile came across his face and he goes, man, if I'm totally honest with you, I kind of want him to wait till after my wedding night. I'm just saying. Like, and I totally get that. I totally get that. And that's, if we're just honest, and, and I want you to just kind of apply, is that kind of where you're at? All right, but there's a lot of us that's like, yes, we want Jesus to come back, but we really like to get married. That would be cool. And we, we would love for Jesus to come back, but we, we wanna go to college. We wanna have that college experience, which is awesome. We, we, we want Jesus to come back, but we wanna have children one day. We want Jesus to come back, but man, I've been, I've been saving for retirement and we're about to retire and I'd love to experience that. Um, I'd love for Jesus to come back, but there's, this, there's these experiences, there's these things that I would love to um, experience in my life before he comes back. And man, if that's, if that's where you're at, if that's the place that you're at, there's probably one of two reasons why that's the condition of your heart. And the, and the first reason why maybe you're like, man, I'd rather have that than Jesus return, it might be because you haven't suffered yet. It might be because you just really haven't suffered yet. Because there is nothing like suffering to reveal the brokenness and the emptiness of this world and make you long for heaven. There's nothing like it. Great example of that's the Apostle Paul. Now turn there in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four. 24, watch what he says. He, he just kind of talks about his suffering. In verse 24, he says, in, in verse 11, he says, five time, or chapter 11, five times he says, I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. He said, five times I got 39 lashes. In verse 25, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned, he says. Now, y'all know what stoning means? They chunk a person on the ground and they throw rocks at him. They're not like nerf rocks, they're real rocks. They throw rocks at them and then they die. And somehow he survives that and he keeps going. Now me, I would have raised my hand after probably the first lashing. I wouldn't even made it to the beating of rods, and I'd be like, all right God, because there's so much I can do with my life here. But he just keeps on going. He gets beat with rods, stoned. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers to sea, dangers from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Verse 28 cracks me up after all that stuff in verse 28. He says, apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's like, beaten with rods, that's nothing. These churches are messed up. And then look at Philippians at the end of his life. In Philippians chapter one, verse 21, I want you to hear his heartbeat. Just listen to what he's saying. It's the end of his life. He's in prison, I believe, when he wrote this. And verse 21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. He said, "If if I am to live in the flesh, And if I keep on living, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, I'm gonna keep working for the Lord. He goes, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, for I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. You don't hear him begging God for more time. You don't hear him longing for more experiences here on earth for marriage and sex and kids and college and golf and trip to the Bahamas or whatever. You just, you hear it in his voice. This is a man that's lived long enough to know the world does not compare to Jesus and I am ready to be with Jesus. And and, and um, I, I really believe this. I, I think... I think the main reason our generation doesn't long for heaven, and by the way, you go look historically, we're one of the only generations in history that hasn't longed for heaven. And I think one of the main reasons we struggle with longing for heaven is because our generation has absolutely no idea what it's like to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We just don't know what it's like. And if there, as you sit, whether you're 18 or, or whether you're 90, if there's not a part of you that's hungering for the Lord's return, it might be because you've gotten just a little too comfortable with this world. Great illustration of this just kind of playing out in our congregation was last week. I got the biggest kick out of this, and, and, and last week I, I, even, I even told Aaron Ivey, this was gonna happen. I prepared him for this last Sunday. You see, our church has a ton of young people in it. We've got a few older people, That's an an older at the Austin Stone is over 35. We've got a few older people at the Austin Stone, a lot of young people, and there's a couple of services. Um, We have a bunch of services all over the city, but I said, Aaron, the services that have the higher percentage of older people, after I preach on the return of Jesus, they're going to be more passionate when uh, during the song after the sermon. They're going to be more celebratory about the fact that Jesus is coming back. I said the services with the higher percentage of younger people, they'll sing, but they're not going to be quite as passionate as the old folks, right? And and here's why: because old people have lived on this earth long enough to know this earth is messed up. Y'all heard them. Amen. <laughs> And sure enough, man, it, it happened. I was at that part in my sermon last week, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know this was going to happen, but I was at that part. I was like, hey, Michael's going to shout, and, and, and Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ is going to rise, and, and those of us who are alive and remain are going are to be caught up in the air. We're going to be with the Lord forever. And the old folks just started clapping. They're like, Whoo. And they started clapping and, and amen. I mean, you hear them, they're amening, right? And then we started singing. Um, oh, by the way, uh, during the services, there's almost exclusively younger people that same spot, and they clapped in the mornings. I'm like, they're going to clap right here. So I got fired up and I started preaching. Crickets, right? Nothing. <laughs> so we sing it as well after the service, because that's what you sing after a sermon on on the return of Christ, because the third verse talks about the return of Christ. And so we get to the third verse of it as well. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as the scroll and the trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And the old people lost their minds, man. I thought, the, I thought the roof was gonna come off this place. I'm serious. Hands in the air, tears running down their face. Young folks, y'all were singing? Y'all were, y'all were singing? Y'all, y'all even sounded kinda loud, but it was more, it was less of this and tears, it was more like, we going to Chewy's or Hula Hut tonight after this. <laughs> if, if that's where you're at, man, if you're like, oh, I want Jesus to come back, but, probably because you hadn't, hadn't suffered yet. But don't worry about that, don't sweat that too much, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Three kind of people in the world, those who are suffering, those who just got finished suffering, and those who are about to suffer. God's gonna show that to you in your life. All right, um, last thing here, if that's kind of where you're at and, and you're like, man, honestly, Matt, there's some things in my life I really want to experience more than I want the trumpet to sound right now. It might be because you haven't suffered. It also might be a bigger problem. And the bigger problem might be that deep down inside, you, you don't really believe that Jesus is better than that stuff. You know, because I was thinking about it. If we really and truly believed and really thought that Jesus was better, than the stuff, then we would not want nothing more in the world than for him to to return. You know, I wanna be really, really clear about this. There's nothing wrong with desiring the stuff. Marriage, sex, kids, retirement, that's great stuff that he's given us, but the question I think we have to ask ourselves is do we long for that stuff more than we long for Jesus? Just a question you gotta get to the bottom of, and, and if the answer is yes, you're like, Matt, yes, honestly, there's probably some stuff, there's some things, there's a person that I'm longing more than Jesus, then the, then the danger of that right there is it's very possible that that thing, that person, that stuff is sitting on the throne of your heart and not the person of Jesus. Now, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're his, you're his sheep, you belong to him, I want to tell you the crazy Awesome, scary truth. If you're a person that's got something else sitting on the front of your heart other than him, if, you're, if you belong to him, the promise of the scripture is he will do whatever it takes to get that thing off your heart and put him on it. He'll do whatever it takes. It's just the promise of scripture in Philippians chapter one, verse six. Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing that he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's the promise of the scripture that if he started the good work in you, then he's gonna do this crazy, awesome, scary thing of completing that until the day you see him face to face. And when I'm telling you, as a guy who lived through it. He, he, he'll, he'll do that. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll do whatever it takes. I, um, I've had cancer. And some of y'all have been around long enough, you knew that. Um, I think it's been eight years that I've been clear. But I, was, I think it was 2005. Um, got a call out of the blue. I had a routine appendectomy. Got a call a few days later. And um, Matt, we found a 1.9 centimeter malignant tumor in your appendix. And started doing the research and asking a lot of questions. They usually spread at two centimeters. And... Some of them spread at 1.9, some of them don't. Usually depends on whether the tumor broke through the the appendix wall. Mine had broken through the appendix wall. I'm scared to death. 31 years old, scared to death. Um, Go in, go for my initial round of tests, blood work, all that stuff, CAT scan. Bad news, bad news, bad news. Lymph nodes are swollen. Blood work is high. It's one of those tumors that if it spreads into your lymph nodes, there's nothing they can do. Game over. Chemo doesn't touch it. You just wait around to die. Usually takes about eight years to kill you. And so I get all those tests back and it just crushed me. I was dying. Long story short, I'm scared to death was so worried and so afraid about what it was that I was gonna miss, would think about my daughter's wedding and it would just instantly bring me to tears. I was thinking about my boys growing up without their dad and all that does in a young man's heart when he didn't have his dad. Scared me to death. Waited for months, went back to my second round of tests and the doctor came up to me before and he said, no Matt, I don't wanna give you false hope here, but he says it's possible that the lymph nodes are swollen because of the surgery <laughs> and the blood markers are high from the original tumor, we're gonna go in again, we'll see what they are, we'll know what we're dealing with. If they're still high, it's not good news, hopefully they're better. Walked into the cancer ward, I'll never forget that day, I'm sitting there in that cancer ward, people all around me dying, clinging to my Bible, trying to hold back the tears, scared to death. Went in, did the blood work, did did the CAT scan, did all that stuff and Three-day wait, y'all know how that goes. You get a biopsy, three days, four days before you find out anything. And, and I'll never forget, I, went, I got all the blood work done. It was gonna be a few days before I got the results. I went back to my office. I walked in the door of my office, closed the door, locked the door. I got down on my knees, opened up the blinds uh, to my window, and I just looked up. And I'll never forget the prayer that I prayed in that moment, because I had just sensed God trying to woo my heart back through all that stuff. I just sensed that there were parts of my life that that I loved and wanted and desired more than Jesus. And and just through that whole time of cancer, I could just just tell that God had brought me into the desert to win my heart. And I'll never forget, I got down on my knees and I looked up and and this was the prayer that I prayed. I was like, Lord, I'm scared to death, but I want you to know that if you want to take me home, I want what you want. God, if you're ready to take me back, that's what I want to. And in that moment, for the first time in my whole life, I believed to live as Christ and to die as gain. For the first time in my whole life, that peace fell over me. Three days later, I got a call totally clear. I'm not saying you surrender like that to Jesus, he's gonna take your cancer away, but I am telling you this. He was trying to show my heart that he is better than the things of this world. So if you're here today and you're a skeptic, and you're a skeptic, if you're here today and you're apathetic about the presence and the return of Christ, If you're here today and and that's you, that like Matt, yes, there are things in this world that I want more than I want Jesus. I want you to know that God wants to do a work in your heart today. I love the story. I love the story of of the guy, and I'm done here, so just listen to this and we're gonna be done. I love the story. Little boy filled with the evil spirit. His father comes to Jesus and And he comes to Jesus, and in Mark, chapter nine, verse 22, he says, it's often cast him into the fire and into the water and and destroy him, and trying to destroy him. And he says, Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, and he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then I love what the father says next. After Jesus looks at the guy and says, hey, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then the father cries out and says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe that you're powerful, but there are parts of me that do not believe. And so I need you to step in and I need you to help my unbelief. That's what, church, that's what you pray today. Hopefully he won't be like me. He's got to give you cancer to wake you up that Jesus is better. But that you just say, Lord, I, I believe all this, but, but there's parts of me that doesn't believe it, so help me believe. If you're a skeptic today, if you don't believe, just have the courage. Say, Lord, if you're real, help my unbelief. If you're apathetic today, say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to live like you could come back at any moment. If you're here today and there are things in your life that you love more than Jesus and you want and you desire more than Jesus, you say, Jesus, I believe you're better, but help the places of my heart that doesn't believe, help my unbelief that you are better. Ask him to do a miraculous work in your life that we can be a people that longs for his presence and his return. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that the words of Philippians chapter one are true and they've been true in my life. That you are faithful to complete the good work you began in me until the day of Christ Jesus. I pray you do not let me go until you have completed it. Father, I pray for everyone in this room in regards to this incredibly important truth that you're coming back. Lord, I pray that our generation would wake up and that we would long for your return. And God, if you return in our lifetimes, I pray you would find us faithful doing what you've called us to do. If you don't, I pray we would be faithful to the end and we will join you in the air and we will be with you forever. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together.